0: which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash boreyoutosleep that's try better H-E-L-P and join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Special offer for Boy You To Sleep listeners, with 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash sleep. Tonight's readings come from The Little Dauphin, translated from the German of Franz Hoffmann by George P. Upton published in 1905 the book looks back on the early childhood of Louis Charles the second son of Louis the 16th i wasn't aware specifically of this aspect of french history but louis the 16th was the last king of france before the french revolution which means that louis charles was destined to face an interesting life with unknown challenges. Hello to all of the French listeners, and apologies in advance for any mispronunciations in the reading. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're keeping safe throughout this interesting, but not so fun time. It's easy to see your sleep affected during a time like this, and I hope that the podcast is able to help you out. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. Each episode is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Special thank you to several listeners that I've heard from during the week. Thanks to Twitter user at underscore al underscore world and also at surely you for sending your appreciation. Thanks also to Joshua Kumar for sending appreciation on Instagram and Jen Majura for sending the most amazing feedback on Instagram. I'm so glad you found the podcast helpful enough to recommend to others. Also to Insta user, underscore West Coast Functionalist, for shouting out me on your Insta story. That was lovely, and I'm glad the podcast is helping. The podcast is completely free, and it's the support from listeners that allows me to keep bringing out more episodes. If you find the podcast helpful, a lovely way to say thank you is to leave a review in your podcast app. It doesn't take long and really does help out. If you want, you can also say hello at com, where you can support the podcast. Special thanks to the Patreon and Anchor supporters that continue to support the show. I'm also now on Twitter and Instagram at Boy To Sleep. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the ratings. The Little Dauphin, translated from the German of Franz Hoffmann, by George P. Upton. Translator's Preface The Story of Louis Charles. Second son of Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette is one of the most pathetic in the history of royalty, and has an added interest because of the attempts of many romancers and some historical writers to raise doubts as to his fate. The brief space of this little dauphin's life is measured by the awful period of the French Revolution and Reign of Terror. Franz Hoffmann, the writer of the original, follows the ordinarily accepted version that the Dauphin was separated from the king and queen and confined in the temple, and after that, their execution he was deliberately and cruelly allowed to waste away in body and become the victim of hopeless disease, remaining thus until death ended his sufferings and the inhuman barbarity of his keepers. In the course of his narrative the author touches upon the most striking events of the revolution, that dreadful remedy for a dreadful disease, as it has been called and brings out in strong relief the character of the well-meaning but weak king and imperious queen, as well as that of the brutal cobbler Simon, the Dauphin's Keeper but the principal interest centres in the most pathetic figure of the little prince. The historic doubts raised as to the Dauphin's fate also lend interest to the tale. One of these has to do with the identity of Norndorf, who passed himself off as the Duke of Normandy. The Dauphin's title... And the other, with the Rev. Alazar Williams of Green Bay, Wisconsin, missionary among the Indians, the claims put forth by friends of Williams attracted widespread attention and provoked much discussion in this country and France half a century ago, because of the extraordinary coincidences attaching to the alleged identity. It is generally accepted verdict of history, however, that the Dauphin was the victim of the revolution and died in the temple in 1795, and as such, he appears in these pages. The details of his fate can never be stated with accuracy, so involved and uncertain is the tragic mystery, but Hoffman's narrative is undoubtedly correct in its general outlines. There are almost as many different versions as there are histories of that thrilling period. The Little Dolphin, Chapter 1 Sunny Days within the grounds of the Tuileries, that splendid palace of the King of France. At the end of a terrace, overlooking the water, there was in 1790, a small garden surrounded by a neat trellis and adjoining a pavilion, occupied by the Abbey de Vaux, tutor of the Dauphin, or Crown Prince, Louis Charles. On a certain bright July morning in that year, a handsome, graceful boy, about five years old, entered this garden. He was richly and carefully dressed, and was accompanied by a small detachment of soldiers in the uniform of the National Guard who followed him on foot to the gate in the trellis, and stationed themselves there as sentinels. The boy bowed courteously to them and said, smiling, I am sorry, gentlemen. My garden is so small. I cannot have the same pleasure of receiving you in it, but I will do the best I can And quickly gathering a handful of flowers, he proceeded to distribute them among his escort with such winning sweetness that the bearded soldiers could scarcely restrain their emotion. After busying himself for some time in this way, the boy took from a corner one of the small but handsomely finished garden tools that had evidently been specially adapted to his use, and went industriously to work removing the weeds, which had sprung up among the flowers, and spading the soil of a small bed to prepare it for setting out some young plants which he had brought with him in a pretty little basket, he worked with such energy and absorption that beads of perspiration stood on his forehead and he did not observe that his tutor, the Abbe de Vaux, had entered the little garden and was watching his labours with loving interest. "'That will do, my prince,' said the Abbey finally. "'You must not fatigue yourself too much.' or you will not be able to give proper attention to your lessons. The boy immediately laid down his tool, and with a bright smile greeted his tutor, who gently brushed the clustering curls from his flushed face. As he stood there, glowing with health and breathless, from the exercise which had brought a bright colour to his cheeks, with the frank, fearless glance of his great blue eyes, shaded by dark lashes, the wide, fair brow, the fresh red lips, the dimple in his rounded chin, and the almost angelic expression of innocence on his face it would have been hard to find a lovelier child. His figure was slender and delicate, his motions full of grace and vivacity, while in his manner and bearing there was something noticeably distinguished, combined with a confiding trustfulness that won all hearts. Universally admired for his beauty and and beloved for his nobility of mind, his tender heart and the sweet friendliness he showed to all with whom he came in contact. This boy was Louis Charles, Dauphin of France, destined in the ordinary course of events to be the future ruler of one of the mightiest kingdoms of the world tenderly beloved by his parents the unfortunate king louis the 16th and the imperious grand duchess marie antoinette surrounded by all the pomp and splendor of a kingdom and sheltered with loving solicitude from every shadow of evil as yet he had known only the sunny days of happy careless childhood, but already above him were gathering the dark clouds, which were to eclipse the sunshine of his life evermore, and transform the serene happiness of his parents into bitter trouble and untold misery. Alas, what a cruel fate had destiny reserved for this beautiful boy whose blue eyes looked out so bravely and trustfully upon the world. But of all this he had little foreboding, as he gave himself up to the full enjoyment of his innocent happiness with all the light-hearted unconsciousness of a child. "'Just see, Mr. Abbey, how busy I have been this morning,' said the boy." after he had given the usual morning greetings to his tutor. I have taken out all the weeds and planted this bed with fine asters, which will please my mother very much when they blossom. You know, Mr. Abbey, how much she loves flowers. I do indeed, my prince, answered Mr. DeVoe and it is very nice and thoughtful of you to take her a nosegay every morning, but I cannot understand why you exert yourself to do all that digging, weeding, watering, and planting when a gardener would do it for you in a few moments. The little prince shook his head earnestly. No, no, Mr. Abbey. He replied after a moment's reflection. My father gave me this garden so that I should have to take care of it. And besides, he added, with a charming smile, I must make these flowers grow myself because Mamma would not like them half so well if anyone else had done it. You are right, my prince, said the Abbey. Surprised and touched by the boy's remark, which showed so much affection for his mother. Go on planting your flowers, and I hope they may thrive entirely to your satisfaction. Oh, they are growing finely, Mr. DeVoe, answered the prince, proudly. You will see what a large bunch I can pick in just a moment. And with a zeal and energy, inspired by his love for his mother, he examined all the flowers in his little garden, selected the largest and freshest blossoms, and bound them into a bouquet, which he arranged with much care and taste. Look, Mr. Abbey, said he, holding out his nosegay and childish triumph, do you not think my mother will be pleased with this? It makes me very unhappy when the weather is bad and I cannot work in my garden, for how can I be happy, Mr. Abby, when I have not earned Mamma's first kiss with my bouquet? But now I must go and feed my rabbits and then hurry to her with the flowers." In a corner of the garden, there was a small enclosure walled in with bricks, where some pretty tame rabbits were kept by the prince. They recognized him with evident pleasure, and came quickly at his call as he bountifully distributed among them fresh cabbage leaves and carrots, provided for the purpose After this visit to his pets, the Dauphin turned back toward the palace to make sure his usual morning call on his mother, but once more he was detained. Before the iron railings that separated the garden from the open street stood a poor woman who was gazing at the prince with longing eyes but had not ventured to address them. Perceiving instantly that she seemed to be in trouble, he approached her and asked kindly, ''What is the matter, my good woman? Can I do anything for you?'' The woman burst into tears. ''Oh, my prince,'' she stammered, ''I am very poor and have a sick child at home.'' It is a boy my prince and just as old as you and he is waiting anxiously for my return but I cannot bear to go back to him with empty hands. Wait a moment replied the prince after he convinced himself that the woman was really poor and needy. I am going to see my mother and will be back directly with hasty steps he ran on, and disappeared in the palace, but in less than ten minutes he was back again, with a beaming face. "Here, my good woman, he said in his gentle voice, as he handed her a bright new gold piece through the railings, that is from my mother, and this he added, "'snatching one of the finest roses from his garden. "'This is from me for your sick boy. "'I hope he will soon be well again.' "'And before the astonished woman could utter her thanks to the little dolphin, "'he had vanished again, "'hardly hearing the loud acclamations of the crowd "'that had gathered outside the palings "'and witnessed his generous deed.' At no time was the young prince happier or more charming than with his mother, whom he adored above all the world. As she did not wish his mind overtaxed with learning during the tender years, she taught him herself the rudiments of his education before giving him into the hands of his tutor and nothing could equal the motherly care and solicitude she bestowed upon the task. If the boy became weary, the queen would seat herself at the piano or harp and play for him little melodies full of expression which she had either learned or composed herself observing with pleasure that his ear was very sensitive to the charm of malady, or she would sometimes read to him fairy tales, fables, or stories from history to which the little prince listened with the liveliest interest. Every emotion aroused by these appeals to his imagination showed itself on his sensitive, animated features. Exclamations of wonder or excitement occasionally escaped him at the recital of stirring events or adventures which his mind could readily grasp. But whenever anything escaped his comprehension or was not clear to him, his brow clouded and a stream of questions immediately followed. Nor was he satisfied until he fully understood. At such times he often astonished those about him with observations and reflections that awakened the liveliest hopes of the future of the royal child, hopes unhappily doomed to be so soon blasted. After the little Dauphin had made the poor woman happy with his gift, he returned for a moment to his mother to thank her again for the gold piece, and then went to give the king his morning greetings. "'What is this I hear, my dear Charles?' said the king, smiling and shaking his finger at the prince." Mr. Hugh has been telling me strange things of you. Mr. Hugh was one of the prince's attendants. What things, Papa? asked the boy. I don't remember doing anything bad. No, think well, Charles. Yesterday, while you were reciting your lesson, you began to whistle. Did you not deserve a rebuke for that? The prince colored, then he answered quietly, Yes, papa, I remember. I repeated my lesson so badly that I whistled to myself. Nevertheless, you see it was heard, replied the king. You may be forgiven for that, however, but we have not come to the end yet. Afterwards, you were in such high spirits that you tried to run away and dash through the rose bushes in the garden. Mr. Hugh warned you and said, Monsieur, a single one of those thorns might wound your face badly, or even take out your eye. And what answer did you make? Somewhat abashed, the prince lowered his eyes. I said, it is the thorny path that leads to glory, and is not that true, papa. The king's face assumed a more serious expression. Yes, yes, the principle is right, he answered, but you have misapplied it, my child. There is no glory in risking your eyesight merely to gratify a mischievous impulse. If it had been a question of killing a dangerous beast, of rescuing a human being from peril, in short, if you had risked your life to save another, that might have been called glory, but your act, Charles, was simply thoughtless and imprudent. Beside child, you had better wait and not talk of glory until you are able to read the history of your ancestors and our French heroes like Guisland, Bayard, Turenne and many others who have defended our crown with their blood. This mild but earnest exhortation made a deep impression on the heart of the young prince. He seized his father's hand, kissed it and said in a low voice, Very well, dear Papa, after this I will find my glory in following your counsels and in obeying you. Then we are good friends again, answered the king, and now we will look over your exercises for a few moments, so that Mr. Hugh and Mr. DeVoe may be pleased with you. The king as well as the queen observed with pride the talents of his son and it afforded him much pleasure to be present during the lesson hours and examine the exercises and copy books. He frequently instructed the prince himself and by his praise or censure encouraged in the boy a habit of diligence and attention to what was being impressed upon his mind. Together with his wife, he guided the education of the young prince and even continued the practice in later and less happy days. When deprived of his crown, he had to accustom himself to the gloom of a prison cell. Soon the Abbey de Vaux appeared, and the usual instruction in religion, reading, history, and geography began. The prince was particularly attentive on this day, for his father's gentle admonition had sunk deep into his heart and spurred his zeal to the utmost. You have been very bright and industrious today, my prince, said Mr. Devaux, When study time was over, and I am glad, therefore, that I have a pleasant piece of news for you. What news? asked the prince quickly. This, that a small company of soldiers has been formed in Paris under the name of Regiment of the Dauphin, "'which wishes to have you for its colonel. "'I am sure you will accept this post of honour with pleasure.' "'Yes, indeed, if papa will allow me,' replied the prince with sparkling eyes. "'Your papa,' answered the king himself, "'has not only given his consent, "'but is willing for you to receive the young gentleman.' who have come to pay their respects to their new colonel. Come already. Where shall I find them? asked the prince eagerly. In your garden, replied the king. Mr. DeVoe will be good enough to accompany you. Beaming with joy, the crown prince hastened with his tutor to the garden, where he greeted the little deputation most of whom were not more than four to five years older than himself, with graceful courtesy and announced his readiness to accept the post of colonel of their regiment. Now it will be adieu to your flowers and the nosegays for your mamma, I suppose, said the Abbey. Oh no, returned the Dauphin gaily, Reviewing my grenadiers will not prevent me from taking care of my flowers. Some of these young soldiers have little gardens of their own. They will love the queen too, like their colonel. And in the future, instead of a single one, Mama will receive a whole regiment of bouquets every day. The little soldiers loudly applauded their new commander's speech, and the best relations were at once established between them, and continued without a break for several weeks. His small guards afforded the prince the greatest pleasure, until they were dispersed in the stormy times which soon followed. By this time, the day was considerably advanced, and the Abbey was obliged to remind his pupil that his mother would be waiting for him and he must dismiss the envoys of the regiment of the Dauphin. The Prince gave his hand courteously to his little comrades, and followed his tutor to the Queen's apartment. His reception, however, was by no means such as he expected. His mother greeted him with a very serious face and gave him only her cheek to kiss instead of the usual embrace. Prince Louis Charles, who was acutely sensitive, perceived at once that something was amiss and looked at his mother timidly and somewhat perplexed. What fault have I committed now, Mamma? he asked. Ah, the young gentleman's conscience troubles him already, replied the queen. Perhaps he can tell me about the trick that was played on the page who attended him yesterday on the terrace. I hope he will not attempt to deny it. The prince's delicate face grew crimson for he remembered very well to what his mother referred. The day before, while they were walking together, he had mischievously taken a flute from his companion's pocket and hid it in a fir tree on the terrace. In a faltering voice, he confessed his guilt. "'Very good,' said the queen. "'Your confession mitigates your fault somewhat.' But nevertheless, such pranks cannot be passed over without punishment. It is out of the question, of course, to imprison the newly appointed colonel of the regiment. But there is the Mouflet. Mouflet was with you at the time. He was in a way the accomplice of his master. And since that master may not be punished, Mouflet must suffer for him let Mufflet be called and placed in arrest for two hours. Moufflet was a pretty little dog, dearly loved by the prince, and on this affection the queen relied in her punishment of the Dauphin, nor was she mistaken as to its effect. Confined in a dark little cabinet, deprived alike of his freedom and the sight of his young master, poor Mulflet began to whine dolefully, to scratch at the door, and finally to howl with all his might. His lamentations found an echo in the tender heart of the real culprit, and filled it with pity and remorse. Weeping, he hastened to his mother and tearfully kissed her hand, ''But Mamma said he, ''Mouflet is not the one who has done wrong. ''Why should the poor dog be punished?'' ''Oh, please set him free and put me in his place.'' Delighted as the Queen was at this proof of the Prince's sense of justice, and gladly as she would have pardoned him, she felt that for the sake of discipline, she must not yield to her feelings, and replied gravely, Very well, since you feel that you deserve the punishment, I will not prevent you from enduring it. You may release Paul Mufflet and be locked up in his place for an hour. Rejoiced at this decision, the prince accepted this sentence at once, and even extended it beyond the allotted time. But this was not all. In the solitude of his prison, he began to reflect upon his behaviour, and told himself that even though he had atoned for his fault, the wrong had not yet been righted. He resolved that as soon as he was at liberty, He would go back to the garden, get the flute from its hiding place, and give it back to his playmate with a request for forgiveness. A loving glance, a tender caress for his mother, were the rewards of his victory over himself. And these signs that he was forgiven made the little prince so happy and contented that for the rest of the day, he was the most polite and well-behaved of boys, and gave not the slightest occasion for a word or even a look of reproof. And that concludes tonight's episode. I hope you're feeling a little drowsy. If you're not quite tired yet, please feel free to listen to another episode. Until next time, good night.